Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. We are thrilled to announce that Lauren and I are launching a global virtual therapy practice. We'll be specializing in trauma healing and brain retraining for those suffering from the effects of chronic stress and trauma in their bodies and minds. We'll begin seeing clients in May. So if you're interested, head over to our newly launched social media pages and our website, flourishtherapy.co, to learn more or join the waitlist. We'll be sure to put the links in the descriptions of this episode and share more information in future episodes. Welcome back, everyone. We're so glad to have you here listening uh, to our series on abuse. We have been so excited about this series. I don't know if excited is the right word, but we've been really uh, anticipating this series and it's here now and we have a really special guest to share with you, a conversation to share with you. Uh, Her name is Danielle and uh, she is a licensed therapist in Florida. She's currently getting her PhD in psychology with an interest in religious trauma. She is the creator and founder of Vibrant Hope Telehealth Counseling and she's also a professor at Southeastern University. She's really passionate about quality mental health education, which is why she created The Therapist on Instagram, which is how I, we met and I just so enjoy her content and her reels are so funny. (laughs) Uh, She creates on on this platform, she creates relatable mental health content um, on many different topics. When she's not juggling her many hats, as you can see, you can find her hanging out with her husband, her two spunky kiddos, eating ice cream, or jamming out to Taylor Swift, who she adores. Nice. Yes. yes. <laughs> so welcome. We're so we're so glad to have you here. Yay. Thank you guys both for having me. I just, I'm so excited. Thank yeah. You. It's going to be a great conversation. We've already been chatting and we're like, oh my gosh, this stuff is so good. We just need to push record and make it happen she's just yeah we've already been chatting for a while and i'm like oh they're my new best friends yes (laughs) new online besties across the globe Um, yeah we'll just have to coordinate to hang out you know across the globe for 12 hours it's crazy it's crazy see you at 8 30 p.m and i'll wake up at 8 30 and we'll just hang out (laughs) we'll have a double date we'll eat dinner you guys eat breakfast oh my gosh that's (laughs) hilarious we've actually never done that that would be fun that would be fun okay so we have some we have some things we want to jump into today with Danielle as this is a specialty for her it's becoming more and more of a niche for her of people she's working with and we just would love to hear from her on this topic more so our first question that we're going to explore is what are some common patterns that you've seen in clients you've worked with who have experienced abuse in general and then with a with a concentration on the the religious spiritual abuse. Yeah, so first and foremost I'd probably say obviously if you're listening in and you have experienced abuse it is a very unique experience and so everybody can kind of experience things differently. Um there's no one size fits all type thing. And depending on the kind of abuse that you've experienced. So whether it it be, you know, sexual abuse, financial abuse, emotional abuse, sometimes the, the, the ramifications of those things and how that plays out for different people are are different. Mm. But I would say, you know, I see a lot of clients with a variety of different kinds of abuse. And I would say that there are some, some similarities that I see across the board. Some things that I see right away with people 
is, and I don't think that we talk about it enough, but it's this feeling of being kind of disassociated, being very disconnected from themselves. And I think that this makes a lot of sense because when we're thinking about abuse in general, we are typically something that happens to somebody is typically from a perpetrator who is kind of trying to essentially throw them off their game, whether that's consciously or, you know, subconsciously from the perpetrator, because some perpetrators are malicious intent and they, they know that they're harming and others do it in a way that they don't know that they're harming. However, I think that something that happens for a lot of people is that they lose their voice. They lose their voice. They lose their ability to be able to tell what is right or wrong, what is morally right or wrong, because all of that gets shifted from the abuser itself. And so there's a lot of disconnection from their body, a lot of disconnection from their voice, a lot of disconnection with the world around them too. And then some other things that I notice physically that happens, you know, I think that sometimes we talk about abuse in a very like cognitive sense, but there's a lot of physical implications that haven't happened for abuse. Hypervigilance is a thing that I see like right away for people. So this anxiety piece with hypervigilance, this walking on eggshells, this feeling like something bad is about to happen. I see that very commonly with abuse kind of across the board. There's also, you know, at the end of the day, when we experience abuse and that feels traumatic to us, it's a loss. And I think that that also gets underestimated too. There, there's a loss first and foremost in the sense of self. You grieve a little bit that you've lost that sense of self. You grieve time that was spent in, in being a part of an abuse or an abusive relationship. You also grieve a sense of safety. I think that's a big thing that happens that a lot of you know, abuse survivors are trying to find after is just feeling safe. And there's a loss that happens with realizing that they've been living in unsafety for a really long time. And so because of that, we know that grief brings about lots of things. So I see people go through lots of stages where it's, you know, this, where I meet people and they might not even call it abuse at the beginning. There's kind of this denial piece, right? But then then there's anger, then there's depression, right? And then there can be some acceptance too and moving through. And so I think that we underestimate grief being mm-hmm. a part of abuse. Yeah. And then there are many more, but I would say two other big highlighters that I see, shame is a huge one. And I think because abuse thrives in shame, right? Making people feel guilty and shameful is also a way to control people. And if, if we can, if a perpetrator can, can make people in this constant state of blame, there's this control piece that happens where you're looking to somebody else, right? Well, if I don't know the answers or if it's my fault, then I'm going to look to somebody else to tell me what to do and to tell me how to behave and tell me how to fix it. Right. And so it can kind of just keep this cycle of abuse going. Shame is such a, um, 
it is such a motivator for abuse to continue. And then after people leave abuse, there's such a shame and embarrassment and even humiliation piece that goes into what kind of person am I that I allowed this to happen? How could I have let this happen? And that's something that I have to walk through a lot with my clients too, is this self-blame that happens. I would say the last thing that I noticed too, is a lot of trust issues, Mm -hmm. which are very, very, very valid. Mm -hmm. Learning to trust other people again is really challenging, really challenging. People might struggle with physical intimacy, right? If there's been like an actual breach in, in your body in some way. So if there's been sexual abuse because you've been betrayed in that way, people might struggle to trust people's words, right? Their actions, the way that they'll handle conversations, the way that they'll handle finances, all of these things can create a lot of trust issues. And um, something that I work with a lot of clients on is, really being able to identify safe people, right? Being able to identify what does a safe person look like? How do we know somebody is safe? There's always a risk there, but learning to trust people again is, is a very, is a tough thing for Mm. survivors. Well, there's your first book. I mean, that's like, that is such an incredible picture of what abuse does, like what the outcomes are like those, was it four or five? Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many other things, but I would say, I would say in general, I see a lot of those kind of grief, this disconnection from self, right. Shame, hypervigilance, a lot of body reactions and anxiety. And then, and then that trust piece. Yeah. As you're talking something I see and also with those, I think you wrap uh, wrapped up in those is like that self uh, trusting self. Like yes. the shame makes them not trust themselves. The gaslighting makes them not trust themselves. And just like you said, it's hard to trust other people. They can't trust themselves because how did I allow this happen? How did I not see yes. this? And so they start, there's that self-loathing, that shame, and that can't trust self all mixed up in that, which makes it kind of moves into our next question, but not yet, <laughs> but um, <laughs> kind of jumping ahead of us. But yeah, I just couldn't help the also kind of see that dynamic yeah. maybe intertwined with all of the ones that you are seeing you're saying because again abuse perpetuates because you don't you don't know another way and why don't you know another way because the abuser usually says that you're wrong or you don't know better or you yeah, uh, yeah. I, know, I know more than you and so it's like okay and your voice totally. is smaller yeah I mean if you trusted yourself typically that's that's when we see, you know, people kind of break away from some of that. There's this sense of, you know, sometimes for people when I'm working with them, they still might be involved in abuse and then being a part, learning about it, learning how to be connected to their body. I see a lot of people go, Oh, I, this isn't right, you know, but I think, and that is not their fault that they don't trust themselves. abuse in general, it thrives off of people not trusting themselves. It, it, it is a way for abuse to just live and breathe and grow. And it's an environment of control and control can't happen when people trust themselves. Like it's, 
it just can't happen. And so there are a lot of things put in place for you not to trust yourself. Exactly. Uh, And so for everybody who's listening, I want them to hear that too. Like, it's not your fault that you've gotten to this place where you feel really disconnected from yourself. It, it is a horrible thing that has happened and typically from people that you are supposed to trust. Mm. It's from people that, that a lot of times our abusers are people we love that, Mm. that we have, that we have grown in relationships with. Right. And, and they are people that we are supposed to trust. And so it is a huge, huge betrayal on, on that has happened to you Mm -hmm. that. And so I, you know, I see so many clients who they, they just take that on themselves of like, wow, like I lost my sense of trust. I, you know, and no, no, um, this, you were living a life that, that was, that you were meant to live in a way that you were trying to be open and you were, you were open to the people that were supposed to be safe and trustworthy and they mistreated that. And that is not on you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's abusers see those people who want to trust and are kind and vulnerable because they care about people and want to let people in and they take advantage of that. And, and trauma, like you said, disconnects you from your body. And yeah. when you, and the only way to disconnect from your body, to go on with life, disconnect from your body is to deny your needs. Totally. And yes. if you deny your needs, then you start tr- like not trusting your intuition. Mm-hmm. And that's not a choice. That is a response to trauma and abusers feed on that, see that, know that, and know how to, like you're saying, know how to continue that pattern to stay in power and it is not the abusee's fault for missing that or not seeing that or stopping at Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, I saw um this is not from me so first and foremost I don't know who it is from uh, but I saw somebody created this like I asked my community one time about something that they learned this year you know that they learned in 2021 And somebody wrote in, I've been learning to forgive myself for the things that I did when I was in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is such like a beautiful mantra for abuse survivors of, of this allowing self-compassion towards yourself and realizing that when you are traumatized and when you are abused, you start living in survival mode and you grapple for safety in any kind of way. And oftentimes that is complying with, with the system, right? Um, Because you're just surviving, you're surviving and that is not your fault. And so I think that that's something that is really important for me when I work with, uh, you know, abuse survivors is them. We're working on them really embracing and loving on themselves and forgiving themselves when they were doing things out of feeling threatened and feeling like that they were just surviving. Yeah. And, and the choices you make in survival aren't even choices. It's no. Your, you say autonomic They're, nervous system just taking over. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The bot, the body literally 
all it's doing is it wants to protect and to have safety. And so when you are typically in a very threatening environment, sometimes safety means meeting that need or the abuser's needs so that you're okay, you know, or what the body learned is like, if I stand up to this, I might be punished or I might be harmed further. Right. And so the body goes into a mode of, of self-preservation to protect itself. Yeah, absolutely. That, that is our nervous system at its best. Yeah. Which is why the trauma education is so valuable because when you can take, when you can like zoom out of your body in a good way, not in a, (laughs) yes. And you can look at the dynamics that are playing out. And that is literally the anatomy of trauma. Like this is what happens in the human body when it is unsafe. And you can realize, oh, wow, my body who I'm actually have so much uh, disdain or hatred of even Mm -hmm. was the whole time attempting to protect me, attempting to bring bring some semblance of safety where there wasn't safety to be found, you know, and looking at that, like Luke loves psychoeducation too, because he just sees how the light bulbs that come on for people of like, oh my goodness, what happened is exactly what's supposed to happen. Like, oh yeah, my body was responding. What is that statement? It's, it's a normal response to an abnormal situation. Like this is exactly what human bodies do in the presence Mm -hmm. of threat, continued threat, power dynamics, this is what's going to happen. And when you can learn about the nervous system and realize all along, your body was trying to, to just provide this beautiful protection and it creates some really wonky things in your body physically, or, you know, mental health symptoms. Like we're not saying that these things in and of themselves are beautiful. I'm recovering from chronic illness right now from a from a long story uh, uh, in my journey and it's brought pain, but my body was, was bringing pain as a protection, which is Mm -hmm. like very counterintuitive. And you have to be willing to look at everything, you know, and kind of look at it from a different angle that Mm -hmm. bodies who, who do these things to protect us, it's actually very adaptive and that we can honor the adaptiveness of our bodies. And then bring, like you said, that, that compassion and even nurture to Mm -hmm. those parts of us that have been so wounded and gently guide that nervous system because it can be guided by us back to finding Mm. safety. And it's so incredible to watch happen. I mean, I'm sure it like thrills you when you see people beginning to find wholeness and healing again after so much. Yeah. And, and I think that you guys are just hitting on such a great point too, that when, for a lot of people out there, if you've been, maybe you've been to therapy before, maybe you've worked with, with a therapist, um, and maybe you feel really stuck too, like in your trauma and in the abuse. And this is why trauma informed work is so vital. Like we have to have it because addressing trauma from a cognitive place is not productive. We cannot even begin to start talking about the thoughts of trauma or, you know, all of those things until we address the body. I'm not saying that the thoughts are not important. They are important, but we just can't even get there. Like we can't even get there with a body that is not safe. 
And so, so when people come in and they're, they have been traumatized, their bodies are still living in the trauma, even though their mind is very far from the trauma, right? Their bodies are living in the trauma still. Um, And so we have to bring healing to that nervous system. We have to bring healing to the trauma body Mm -hmm. so that it can now be connected with the mind. And then you can start exploring the cognitive pieces, right? And that's why people feel so annoyed at themselves. I get this all the time. And I'm, and I just like across the screen, I just want to hug them and be like, Mm -hmm. of course you feel like this because they're like, I don't even know why I feel this way anymore. This happened to me like 10 years ago. I don't even know why I I, I still feel like this. You know, I know, Mm -hmm. I know. And I'm always like the furthest journey is from the head to here. Like, it's just the furthest journey is from your head to your body. I mean, you're, you might know things in your head and in the mind, but trauma is all about the body. It is all about the body. And so this is why I love that you guys pointed some of that stuff out too, about like just the trauma informed care is so important and vital. Yeah. Oh man, I could, I could really geek out about this for a while. <laughs> I, I love this, this stuff. And you like, you mentioned like the longest, farthest, uh, the longest journey is from your head to your, your heart, your body or your body. Um, and the experience. Heart, yeah. The, the experience. Ex- I like, I know that this was what I should be doing, but my body won't do it like mm-hmm. that. And like our nervous systems don't rewire through logical thinking. It only shifts mm-hmm. through an experience. Mm-hmm. And the coolest part is we can give that experience to ourselves mm-hmm. by being having that cu- compassionate curiosity like you're, you've been talking about, uh, um, being that safe place for yourself. And, and you were mentioning like how hard it is to think in trauma or to like why thinking doesn't help. It has to be in the body and a, a picture somebody showed me before you probably heard it is like you hold up your hand and your your fingers connect to your palm and like that's Mm -hmm. a regulated brain Mm -hmm. uh your palm is your limbic system your fingers are your frontal lobe Mm -hmm. but when you're triggered your your palm goes up and we flip our lid and Mm so when we're traumatized the reason why logic doesn't help is because our logic brain is not communicating with our our survival brain in those times so yeah. like you were saying, like, why can't I just think my way through it? Well, that's because mm-hmm. you have no, the information you have now while you're safe, you have no access, access to, to it when you're, when you're triggered. triggered. And mm-hmm. the only way you have access to it is through that, what you were saying, that physiological body awareness and body yeah. care. And that's probably too much for a podcast, but. It's fine. Okay. It's great. I mean, they <laughs> can't put your it's, hand It's hard to there. picture the hand, right? But. Um, hey, you guys can, you guys could, you're like, Hey, come to this link to see what I'm talking about. There with you my go. <laughs> <laughs> Show them yeah. the, the da- I think that's dancing. Yeah. I think he created think, that yeah. little visual, but it's yeah. So important uh, to what you're saying. I just want to validate over and over that importance of body awareness over trying to think your way through trauma. And I think that's why a lot of clients are frustrated with trauma work is they're doing a lot of talk, logic thinking, mm-hmm. and that can only take you so far. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that connects with 
what does recovery look like? Like, how do people recover from from trauma? What's helpful for abuse survivors to take? Yeah, we, um, we touched on that, but more succinctly. We did. And I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. And I just want to say first, like, because of what you said in the first section of just the disconnection. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that would tell us reconnection. Like, mm-hmm. that's got to be part of the puzzle of getting back into your body. And like, totally. we've been in the mental health world, me by, by proxy for a decade. And the body was just so not part of his original training. Okay, you too. Mine either. Yeah. Yeah. And we, when we've been learning, so heady. Less, it's, all, it's all heady, you yeah. know, very it's, cognitive based. Yeah like mm-hmm. everything cognitive based. I, I'll never forget. This is hilarious. This is a little sidebar, but we were talking about what we do here in Thailand and how we support expats with through mental health and physical support that I do as a nurse and a nutritionist. And this, it was a pastor and he was like, Oh, I remember this one guy came to my church once and he wanted to you know, get referrals. He wanted me to let people know about his services. And he was mm-hmm. doing this horse like, therapy <laughs> and this pastor's mind was blown he was just like that's not therapy because you're not talking you're not you're on a horse you're petting a horse and I just I I kind of gave a little rebuttal of like oh that can be really powerful for survivors and for people oh, working yeah. through things to be out in nature and to be with these really regulating animals and all that to mm-hmm. say, like that perspective is because of how we've all been taught. Well, you change your life through Absolutely. the cognitive part of your brain. That's it. Mm-hmm. That is like yeah. Western. That's our thought. Anyways, all that to say last couple of years, we've like gotten more into the body and mm-hmm. it's been transformational for us as people. And then professionally for the clients Luke works with, like Wow. When you get back into your body, it's almost like for me and and what I've experienced and like coming back to my body, I've lived in like sympathetic activation my entire life. Totally. Yeah. And when I realized that slowly, but also light bulb moments. And sympathetic activation is just like basically survival mode. Yeah. Like one fight or flight mode just for our audience. Um, We need to do a polyvagal episode really soon, but the modes of safety, which is called ventral or sympathetic activation, which is like fight or flight. And then dorsal is shut down. So those are just like our three main autonomic states. But I just realized like sympathetic drove everything that I did everything and it was so crazy to like live in my body for 30 so years and not know that was my mode of operation and then finding it out it was just like I mean I might as well like found out I was like half alien or something it was just (laughs) such a huge realization for my life because I I'd gotten back you know I dropped down into my body and started listening to the the autonomic story that was playing out, not just like my thoughts. And oh yeah. I mean, I think in general, most people are disconnected from their bodies, yeah. even outside of abuse survivors. Yeah. Uh, okay. I would say most people, especially in in like 
you know, American Westernized culture. We live in a constant state of rush and busy and go to the next thing. I mean, everything thrives essentially on not slowing down and being, Mm. and being in tune with -hmm. your body. So we have a lot of people walking around completely out, out of sync with their body. I mean, the hardest thing sometimes that I work with people on right at the beginning is learning how to breathe. Yeah. Like it's one of the things that I get that honestly people feel the most uncomfortable about doing. Um, And, and I think that, you know, sometimes the breath work is like the very beginning place of, of sitting with your body. Right. And that in general can make people feel (laughs) uncomfortable. So it, it gives me a huge, you know, indication that, wow, a lot of us are walking around very, very disconnected yeah. from ourselves. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned breathe breath work is something you do to help people recover from abuse by reconnecting. Mm-hmm. What are some other things that you do to reconnect? Yeah. So I am, <laughs> so I, I believe very strongly in releasing trauma energy yes. from the yes. body. And so if people feel comfortable in sessions, we will, we will go for it. But also I sometimes will have them do it, you know, if they want to try it on their own first before they come in and then we can do it later together. But even very simple things, simple things that people often overlook or that they, they actually often stop because our emotions and the trauma that lives inside of us when, when it's triggered, right? If we will allow it to happen, we can actually, our bodies are really great. Like our bodies are incredibly resilient and our bodies actually know what to do a lot of times. And so, but we've gotten very good at stopping our bodies from doing things, right? So like when I feel like I need to cry, I'll stop it sometimes, right? And we do that a lot with like trauma triggers in general, like we will stop them. And then what happens is that all of that gets pent up and stored up because it has, and and then it has to go somewhere, right? Eventually it has to go somewhere, which sometimes ends up being like, you know, on our spouses, on our children, like it comes out at some point. Um, but, um, some things that I suggest, I mean, I am big advocate for, full on, like if you're, if you're in a safe place, right. Cause I totally understand that there are places that you can't release certain things or it's not safe for you to do that. Right. right. So you might have to, like, if you're at work and you get triggered, you might have to kind of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to save this. Right. And then I'm going to, when I get home, I'm going to have, I'm going to allow myself to, to actually complete that trauma cycle, right? What happens for so many people though, is that they never complete it. Like they never complete the cycle. They never do any of that stuff. And this is for lots of things, anxiety cycles, stress cycles, but trauma too is one of those things where if you have a trigger come up, we have to deal with it at some point. And so, um, yell, yell, yelling is a great way to release trauma, right? If you're angry, like so many trauma victim, uh, trauma survivors, um, I think it's important, the language too. We we call people, we used to say abuse victims. And when now we say survivors, and I think that's really important, Mm -hmm. Uh, 
so many abuse and trauma survivors, they're angry. They're yeah. angry, but like they live in a world where anger is looked at not okay, right? Yep. And so, and anger and aggression are very different things, but it's also totally okay to allow the anger to, to come out. So maybe you need to yell, maybe you need to yell into a pillow. Maybe you need to punch a pillow. Maybe you need to punch a, a boxing bag. You know what I mean? Maybe you need, I, I mean, maybe you need a really good cry and I'm talking like full on, like allow yourself to fully lean into a cry, right? Because when people fully lean into a cry, there's a lot of stuff going on there. The body starts shaking. If your body's shaking, shake. Like anything that the body is doing, don't stop it in that safe space. Like when you're home or wherever you feel safe. So if your body starts kind of, you know, doing that shake thing, let it do the shake thing. Dancing is a really good way for people to release a lot of trauma energy, right? So turning on some of your favorite music and like just dancing is a great way to release stuff. A lot of people are incredibly creative. They like to release a lot of their stuff through art, through music, through drawing. Um, Some people, I, I have, a, I've had so many clients over the years who love to actually I mean, they, they release it, man, journal, pen to paper. I mean, they are just, and you can tell when it gets, you know, in their writing, you can tell when stuff is coming out more and then it's like a little bit more relaxed in their writing. And then sometimes it's just, you know, whatever, I just, whatever the body wants at that, at that time, we have to honor the body and, and, and trust that it is doing what it knows how to do mm-hmm. and give ourselves the space to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, this is like a little like side note of like, I, I had this happen to me the other day. I actually, and I do this for, I do this for a living and yet none of us are immune to it. Like yeah. I absolutely stop myself in, in, you know, even things that I'm saying right now, I'm like, this is really good for me. I need to know this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because I'll just be, you know, living my life and, and I have a lot of responsibilities. And then there are times where I'm like, okay, I can't, like, I can't lose it right this second, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have to keep going to the next thing. And that is true for a lot of people. That is true. My biggest thing that I can say to people though, is come back to it. You Mm -hmm. have to come back to complete it. And so and so for me, I was going throughout my day, right. It was going, you know, whatever. And I had been so like, just so much pent up, just, I was so emotionally drained from like family and it was around the holidays and the kids were driving me crazy. Cause you know, they were home nonstop. We had a lot of sickness. I mean, there was just a lot, a lot of heaviness going on and I've started cycling. I've started cycling which is really hard, by the way. It's <laughs> like, I, I really underestimated how hard it was. And I was on the bike, right? I was on the bike and I was doing these intervals. And I noticed that like, when I went full out in the interval, I just started crying on the bike. Mm. Like I full-fledged just started bawling on the bike. And I, in that moment, wow. I was like, oh my I was like, my body is releasing this. This is what's happening. I have kind of pushed my body to the point where it is, it has got, it is releasing. And, 
And so don't ever underestimate the power of moving your body, of yelling in the pillow, right? Because your body needs that release. And I'm telling you, man, I've never felt so good coming off the bike. I I mean, my husband came outside and he was like, are you okay? I mean, I was bawling. Like I was like biking and I allowed my body, like I like wailed at one point. Mm. I don't know, but he was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going through it. You know, (laughs) just allowing myself to feel what I feel right now. And it was really powerful, like really, really powerful. But, you know, I think that we have just put so many, we've put so much parameters, right. Around actually healing from trauma. Like, you know, I, well, it has to look a certain way. And I also like, uh, like we live in a place where losing it is bad. And, and so, so we really kind of villainize this, like getting to this place of, bawling or just, you know, shaking or just Mm. allowing the body to do what it actually needs to do to move through. And so I'm very big on body stuff. And I love what you said too, about we can actually self-regulate our nervous system. We can, we can actually be a part of that arousal system and we can guide it back to safety. I love that you said that because that is a, one of the biggest ways I think my clients realize, oh my God, I can trust myself. Right. Like I, oh my goodness, like I can be a part of this and I can learn to regulate and I can, I can gain all of this stuff that I feel like I've lost and this control that I've lost. I can gain this sense of control back. Right. Yeah. So, you know, mindful breathing is a really big part of self-regulating the nervous system engaging your senses. I'm really big about sensory work too. So get a smell that you love, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do you have a certain texture that makes you feel very, you know, that, that brings comfort to you, a favorite fuzzy blanket, right? Mm -hmm. I love like bottles like this. They feel so nice, you know, like even just little things, like, is there something that you enjoy tasting, right? All of these things are, this sensory input is very helpful for helping the nervous system guide back to safety. Yeah. Yeah, So those are, I I love this, everything you said, and I just love the hope that you bring and, Mm -hmm. and that so many people, so many trauma survivors, abuse survivors feel so hopeless and powerless and and stuck. Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of times I also think it's a lot harder than it is to, I mean, it's not easy. I mean, it's very hard work, but they think it's like complicated and, and all these things. And it's like, sometimes it's just breathing. Sometimes it's actually doing nothing and you're allowing your body just to take over. Yeah. Which is really hard for abuse survivors. Yeah. I'm not minimizing that, but it's like when we can learn to just allow our bodies, the wisdom of our bodies, the intuitiveness of our bodies to guide that journey, it can be so efficient, productive, um, I mean, of course it's hard, it's confusing, it's not straightforward, it's not linear. Yeah, um, but, but they're made to heal. But they are they're they're, they're just these incredible um organisms that are little healing factories. Like yeah. we can create such we can't create, we can participate in such profound healing. Um, mm-hmm. and it's step by step, it's those yeah. little steps 
to create more and more regulation and more safety. And yeah, it, it blossoms into this big, beautiful journey of healing and yeah, claiming back, gaining back yourself. And I love yeah. that you painted that picture for people. Is there any last thoughts you have on the hope that there is for survivors? Yeah. Well, you know, I believe in hope. I mean, I named my practice vibrant hope, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I think hope is something that is incredibly important in trauma he- healing. Yeah. Um, and I think so many people feel so desperate for that healing. I know for me, one of the reasons why I named Vibrant Hope, Vibrant Hope is that I was in a place also feeling just completely drowning, like hopeless, powerless, just feeling completely stuck and immovable. And hope is about this, you know, expectancy for, for change and expectancy for growth. And, and the human psyche and the human body has the, has the incredible capacity to heal and grow. I think that that is so important too, is that, you know, as dark as it seems, we have the capacity for healing and growth. It is wired inside of us. It's built inside of us and healing trauma and abuse is a process. It's not overnight, but it is absolutely possible. It is absolutely possible. And everything is inside of us. It's built inside of us to be able to heal and grow. We have the capacity inside of us. And I think that that's really something that's powerful for abuse survivors when they realize, okay, I have this inside of me and with the right support and with the right safety and with the right care, I can move through this and And I just need to know those people. Like I need to know my safety people. I need to know, I need a good therapist and accepting that this is going to be a journey and a process, but I have the capacity to heal. I think it's really. Yeah. Healing is accessible to everybody. Yeah. 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 Danielle, I don't want to end. (laughs) I. We can always do a part two. We can always do a part two. We could. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, we're just getting started. (laughs) We're definitely going to have you on again. If we can get another hour of your time, we would love that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, I haven't found many like-minded therapists. So I just, I'm just loving everything you say. I'm like, got goosebumps. I'm just like. (laughs) Your body, you are in your body. I am. I'm I'm enjoying it. We are in our bodies right now. We are feeling. (laughs) But I also want to be respectful to your time. So we are going to wrap it up here and just so grateful, Danielle, for your time, for your insight, for your wisdom, for your experience. And just thank you for being here and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you guys. You guys are a power house and I appreciate the work that you guys are doing too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you listeners for coming back this week and come back next time to continue to hear about our series about abuse. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, Please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.